Amen. Uh, good morning. Uh, my name is Patricia. If you don't know me, I am the kids and creative arts pastor here at Radiant Life. If you are new or are visiting, we just want to welcome you. We are glad that you found your way here. If you are a regular attender, we're glad that you came back. Uh, we have been in a series titled, She Shouldn't Be Here. This is a series based upon women who were mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Now you might wonder, why is that important? Why are we studying this? If you knew about these women, you would know that there is controversy around who, that, who they were. And the fact that they were mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus holds incredible significance. Now for those of you who might have missed the past couple of weeks, let me catch you up really quickly. Pastor Ryan introduced us to a woman named Tamar, and Tamar was a very unique woman. She uh, deceived her father-in-law, had relations with him, got pregnant by him. A woman with a very less-than-pretty story. But she reminds us that Jesus came to give value to the broken. And last week, Pastor Josh introduced us to a woman named Rahab, a prostitute a prostitute named in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, but a woman who reminds us that we are not saved by our reputation, but we are saved by our response to Jesus. And this morning, I get to introduce you to Ruth, an outsider. But before that, let's go back to Matthew chapter 1, where we find the genealogy, where these women are listed, by the time we are done with this series, we are going to have this memorized. I think so anyway. Uh, so it starts, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, the woman with the less than pretty story, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab, the father of Nishan, and Nishan, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, the prostitute. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. So we have Ruth, the outsider, the great-grandmother of King David. Now, somehow, Ruth got an entire book dedicated to her in the Bible. It's called the Book of Ruth. It's the eighth book. So if you want to find it in your Bibles, you can go to Genesis, and then you'll find Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, and then you'll find the little book of Ruth. And there are only four chapters. And although there are only four chapters, I'm not going to read the whole book to you this morning, but I encourage you to take it home, read it. It's a very intriguing story. But we first learn that the story begins in the days when the judges ruled. Now, if you jump back to Judges chapter 1, verse 25, we read that in those days, the days of the judges, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And if you read the book of Judges, which is not a very easy read, you find this constant battle between right and wrong, this battle between following God and turning back from him. The Israelites were in this vicious cycle of, God, we don't need you, but then something would happen, there would be consequences, terrible things would go on in their land, and then they would say, oh, wait, God, 
we do need you. And God would always save and he would always redeem. Ever been there? But when you read the book of Judges, you read and you see that it captures what some people call the dark ages of Israel. And you see that, that there was a need for redemption. And redemption is a key word in this story. And because there was need for redemption and hope and some sort of guidance, God appointed judges, judges like uh, Deborah or Samson, to come and help guide the people. So the story of Ruth begins in the time of the judges. And during this time, there was a man named Elimelech who lived in Judah, Bethlehem. And there was this great famine going on. So he decides to take his family. He takes his wife, Naomi, and his two sons, Milan and Kilian. And he takes them to a land called Moab. Here's a map if you'd like to see. So they travel from Bethlehem to Moab. And while there, things seem to be going well because Scripture says that they stayed. They must have found food. They must have found some way to provide for themselves. But later on, we find out that Elimelech, Naomi's husband, dies. We're not told how. We're just told that she dies, that he dies, and she is left alone with her two sons. And then her two sons marry two Moabite women. Orpah was one, and Ruth was the other. Now, fun fact, Oprah Winfrey was actually named after Orpah from the book of Ruth. But people kept mispronouncing her name, and so she's now Oprah and not Orpah. Uh, just a fun fact there. But scripture tells us that they lived in this land for ten years, and then Malan and Killian die. Again, we're not told how. We're just told that they die, and Naomi and Orpah and Ruth are left without husbands and left without sons. And this is where we pick up in Ruth, chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. Then she arose, Naomi, with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited the people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept, and they said to her, No. We will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they have grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters. For it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. 
Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Now there are two really, really, really important things you have to know about this story. As Pastor Ryan shared a couple of weeks ago, it was customary for a woman to remarry after her husband died, and typically within that same family line. So if her husband had had a brother, it would have been customary for her to marry the brother or marry another kin. That was their way of redeeming their bloodline because during their time, it was a shame to not have your bloodline carry on. So for instance, Naomi was married and she had two sons and they had a lineage. Their bloodline would have lived on. But then the husband and the two sons died. So now she has no lineage to pass on. The same with Ruth and her husband. They did not have a child, so they didn't have a lineage to carry on. So, in a sense, Naomi is kind of going on a rant with Orpah and Ruth, knowing that there was going to be shame wrapped around them if they went with her. The second thing to note about this story is that both Orpah and Ruth were Moabite women. Now, you might not see the importance of that right away, but you have to understand the history between the Moabites and the Israelites. So let's jump into a little bit of Moab history. If you go back further in the Old Testament, you're introduced to Abraham and Abraham's nephew, Lot. Now, Lot moved to the city of Sodom, and Sodom was a very wicked place. Scripture tells us that. And they were warned to leave that place and to not look back. And so they left. But Lot's wife looked back and she turned to salt. Which Pastor Ryan says all the time, Scripture is not as boring as we sometimes think it is. And that's the story I always go back to when I think of that. This woman turned to salt. I can't imagine what that must have been like. But the story gets crazier. After Sodom is destroyed, Lot and his two daughters take refuge in the mountains. And through a crazy set of circumstances, Lot commits incest with his daughters. And one gives birth to a son named Moab, which ironically means of the father. The Moabites were descendants of Moab, born out of incest, born out of sin. Ruth was a Moabite. Let that sink in. Now, to kind of, we can put it on a similar perspective here, the Moabites were to the Israelites kind of like the New York Yankees are to the Red Sox. They're kind of just always a thorn in your side. You just can't get rid of them. You see, the Moabite kings were constantly oppressing the Israelites. They were trying to get them to worship their false gods, uh, their most known false god, Chemosh. They would always try to sabotage the Israelites. So with that in mind, knowing that about the Moabite people, think about the weight of Ruth's words when she says this. We're going to read this again. Ruth says to Naomi, Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from me. Ruth was willing to leave all that she grew up with behind, including her people and her gods. 
And not only that, she was willing to follow Naomi to a place where for years her people had fought their people. That's huge. You know, leaving a land that you've known for a long time is a big deal. If you've ever moved, you know that. You get that. Um, I've shared this before, but I'm not from here. I am from Maine. I am from the state where moose are on your license and they live in your backyard. I am from the place where you have lobster and clam chowder, or if I speak like a true maniac, lobster and clam chowder is a regular meal. And if you show up for a holiday get-together and you do not have shrimp cocktail for an appetizer, something is seriously wrong with you. I'm also from a place where we're more known for our blueberries and potatoes, not necessarily for our corn and decathling, which is something I'm still learning about. I'm from the place where our state flower is actually a pine cone and where the big L.L. Bean boot is actually the coolest thing. Seriously, if you ever get a chance to visit Freeport, Maine, you have to sit on the boot and you have to go to L.L. Bean. But when you move to a new place, you have to learn what the new cool things are. And I'm learning. I still chuckle because people try to give me directions by telling me street names. And they're like, you know, if you go down this street and you know where that corner is. And I'm like, no, could you give me a landmark? Maybe I'll find out where you are. I've only been last a couple of times, but luckily Sturgis is just kind of a big circle. So I found my way back. But when you uproot where you come from, there's some sort of fate and determination that comes along with that. And for Ruth, she had come to know the God of Israel. And she trusted him that much, and she loved Naomi that much to follow, not knowing what it was going to look like when they got back to Bethlehem. So we continue in the story. We read that Naomi and Ruth do travel back. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. You hear echoes of the Christmas story there. And the woman said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Now Naomi means pleasant, and Mara means bitter. I went away full, this is Naomi, she says, I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. So we have met Naomi and we have met Ruth. And now we meet Boaz. Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi, but who also was the son of Rahab, the prostitute that Pastor Josh spoke on last week. Now Boaz was righteous, and he found favor in Ruth's eyes, and Ruth found favor in his eyes. To make a long story short, they got married and they had a son named Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of King David. Now, for those of you who know this story, you know that I skipped over the huge part where Ruth and Boaz meet and how that all plays out. Uh, but as I was preparing for this message, God made it very clear that this morning we're not going to focus on the love story of Ruth and Boaz, but rather on his redeeming story. And I think his redeeming story is evident in a lot of different places here. First, 
Boaz, even though his mother was a prostitute, grew up to know the Lord. And Ruth, despite her roots being an idol worship, had come to the knowledge of who he was and left all she knew behind to follow him. There's so much redemption. Ruth redeems Naomi. When she has Obed, we read in scripture that Naomi helped raise Obed. And so her lineage lived on and she no longer had to be a bitter woman. And then by marriage, Boaz redeems Ruth. And Ruth, who was a Moabite, is accepted by an Israelite. And she no longer has to worry about being an outsider. But the greatest redemption comes when we see that Jesus redeems us all. (laughs) You know, preparing this message really wrecked me. Because I can relate with these women. My genealogy, what I was born into... My biological roots are very sinful and very dirty. There are people in my biological roots, like Tamar, who committed incest and there is still brokenness because of that. And there are people in my biological roots, like Rahab, who think that they can sleep with anyone they want and it doesn't matter the consequences. And maybe some of you can connect with that. Maybe what you were born into or where you come from isn't all that pretty. But like Ruth, we have the choice to recognize that it doesn't matter where we come from or what we were born into or out of. What matters is our commitment to following Jesus. And it doesn't matter how messed up our family trees are, we always have a seat at the table of Jesus. So this Christmas, as you gather with your family or maybe your friends, I just want you to be encouraged that you don't have to remain an outsider just looking through the windows, but that you are already invited in. You know, we have the words out in the lobby, you belong here on the walls for a reason, simply because you do belong here, regardless of where you come from or where you've been. And if you don't know Jesus, or if you don't understand this whole God thing, that's okay. I'm sure Ruth didn't get it at first either. But she was committed to learning and understanding and living out her faith the best that she knew how. I want to leave you with a quote from one of my favorite authors. Her name is Ann Voskamp. She is mostly known for her book, 1,000 Gifts. But she writes this blog, she wrote this this week, And I think this depicts exactly what we're trying to teach and trying to learn this Christmas season. She wrote, no matter how anyone looks, you know who they look like. They bear the image of God. The most belligerent relative, the most difficult neighbor, the most resistant kid, the most different foreigner, stranger, other, is Jesus in the manger, is the image of God. And when you give to the least of these, when you hold the least of these, when you welcome in the least of these, when you live broken, wide open, and give to the least of these, you give to Jesus. And all there is is to see Jesus. For you to see Jesus in every person and every person to see Jesus in you. 
You see, now is the time of year where there are lights to see and plays to see and family and neighbors and community to see, and all there is is to see Jesus. For you to see Jesus coming in everyone and everyone to see Jesus coming in you. Now is the time we don't only look for Jesus coming to the stable, we look to him around every table. We don't only look for him coming to the crutch, we look for him in every crisis. We don't just look for him coming to the manger, we look for him in every mess. And we don't look for him coming only in the barn, we look for him coming through the brokenness. My encouragement to you this morning is simply to see Jesus and to know that he sees you deeper. And to know that no matter where you come from, no matter what you were born into, you are accepted and valued and are no longer an outsider. That should make us worship and that should make us rejoice knowing that we are ultimately rooted in him. So I want us to worship. I want us to recognize that we don't have to just know who Jesus is and be accepted by him during Christmas. But we get the gift of him all year long, every week, every day. God, we just thank you for the gift of your son. And we thank you that it doesn't matter where we come from or what we were born into, but that you are a God who redeems what we were born into and where we come from. That you are a God who sees us deep, who loves us deep, and who will never leave or forsake us. We praise you and we worship you and we worship your son for his coming and his redeeming us all. We pray this in your son's mighty and powerful name. Amen. At this time, if the ushers want to come down, we'll receive this morning's offering. Hey, if you're a visitor here and you're like, man, these guys are jamming up front, they're awesome. Yeah, let's give uh, JB and the team a hand, but we're doing an acoustic set this week. Next week, we'll be back with a little bit more rocking for your stacking, right? But uh, hey, we're going to pray. If you have your connection card, toss those in the offering plate as they go around. Now we're going to keep singing a little bit here. Father God, thank you. Doesn't matter where we come from. Lord, is you. That's all that matters. Is you. We thank you for that. Lord, may we just praise you this morning. Bless you, Lord. Amen.